Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. Well, hey, good morning, church. How are you guys doing? You ready for a new year? I hope so. It's coming whether you are ready for the new year or not. 2024 is on our doorstep. And, um, and every year, we want to start with something intensely practical as we think about the future. And there's so much God has planned for us in the future in this next year. And so every year, we start with this routine. It's called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting. And um, if you're not familiar with prayer and fasting, if this is your first year with us as we go through this 21 days together, I want to just give you a little bit of definition for what it is that we're after because there's a lot of ideas about what prayer and fasting are. And in fact, I grew up with some ideas, and, um, and, and fasting for me growing up was kind of like that thing that you pulled out of the closet every once in a while. Um, I kind of, I literally, I think at one point in my life, I actually had this as an argument against the way a lot of people do fasting, religious folks, and, uh, and it, when something like this, like every night I go to bed and I fast, and then I break it every morning when I eat, and uh, I really didn't have much of a context growing up for attaching the process or the discipline of fasting to my spiritual journey, and the fact is there's a lot of us out there that grew up like that, or if you just started in your Christian journey, you don't know anything about fasting, and it just feels weird or pagan. So I want to define for you what it actually is, and even by starting with what it isn't. It's, first of all, not a hunger strike, as if we're going to shame God into moving somehow on our behalf. God is a generous God. He doesn't need to be shamed into anything. But we're not putting God on the hook, in other words, by fasting. We're going to talk about what fasting is, but it certainly isn't that neither though and many christians get into it for this reason but neither and i would make the case that uh, is it about um moving mountains as if we knew what mountains needed to be moved in 2024 the truth of the matter is is that we don't so what is it about it's about yielding the floor it's about making space and making room to make jesus the lord of our life again It's an opportunity to petition the one who does move mountains for us, the one who created the mountains. It's an opportunity for us to ask questions. It's an opportunity for me to ask questions. I ask this question of myself, am I getting wiser or just older each year? The truth is, I know when I look at myself that It isn't inevitable or automatic that I will be sharpened. That in order to be the weapon that God wants me to be, I need to undergo a process of renewal daily. I need to go through a process of hearing what it is that his assignment for me is. I need to be sharpened. And the question for all of us is always the same as we head into the new year, as we investigate the Lord's will for our lives in 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it's this. Will we be ready for 2024? 
Will we be ready for God to move? Or maybe better said, will we be ready to move with God? 21 days is designed to get us ready. Now, as we get into Jesus' life and ministry, and if you're just joining us, we covered Jesus' birth, but now we're stepping into the new year, and as we get into Jesus' life and ministry, we actually get in on Jesus' first fast, at least the first one that we know about, the first one that's recorded for us. And as we get into the fast, and the Gospel of Matthew, what we discover is that Jesus had a very specific reason for entering into a period of time set aside for prayer and fasting. He fasted for 40 days. Matthew 3 records it for us. And we know something about the reason because of what happens during that 40 days. He encounters Satan himself. In other words, Jesus' reason for fasting is probably our reason for fasting. Jesus was in a battle. In fact, Jesus, as the story goes, um, goes down to the Jordan River, and there he discovers or he finds his cousin John. John's been baptizing people, and all Israel's coming to John, and there Jesus enters into a baptismal ceremony. As he's literally stepping down into the Jordan River, he was stepping into the ring. He was launching his ministry. And if you were with us through the Christmas series, you know that he was a king. And as the king, he wasn't just meant to be received, he was meant to be obeyed. All hell had been put on notice. And here, now we find Jesus in the Jordan River and he's going to launch into his ministry. He is readying for the battle. He's in preparation as he fasts for 40 days. First, he hears a voice from heaven. As he comes up out of the water, the Spirit of God descends, and he hears the words, this is my son, listen to him. He receives a blessing from heaven, but then quickly, he's ushered into the wilderness experience by the Spirit of God to be tempted by the devil. First, the voice from heaven, and then what you and I may experience in 2024, a voice from hell. We're in a battle. There's a wilderness experience that is on the horizon here as Jesus enters into his earthly ministry. And it's here that Jesus utters his response, a response that echoes throughout biblical history, rooted in the Old Testament, but here captured in Matthew 4.4 as he does a battle with Satan. He says this to the king of lies. It is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Here he is fasting, and this is his weapon against the attack, the onslaught. He says, I want you to know something that Moses told the people of Israel. He uses as his leverage against the devil. It has been written, it has been written that man must not live on bread alone. And as a result, he's making a comparison between bread and the Word. Must not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. And Jesus clues us into something here at the onset of his ministry. That the greatest threat 
you and I face. The greatest threat that the society we live in faces isn't global warming. And it isn't a global war. And it isn't natural disasters. As terrible as those things are, the greatest threat you and I face is the lie. It's an ideology that sets itself and its knowledge up against the Savior's. And here's where fasting comes in. He says this, he utters this in the moment of prayer and fasting, like you and I are about to enter into. As if to say, fasting sharpens our senses against the lie, against fear, against the false gods that will emerge in 2024. It gets our eyes off of the flesh and opens our minds to the unseen, which is really what author Richard Foster is after when he makes an attempt to define biblical fasting. Here's what he has to say. He says, the voluntary, fasting is the voluntary denial of a normal function for the sake of intense spiritual activity. This is a generic, general idea behind fasting. Specifically, we could say it's about food. But there are other instances when fasting is required in the Scriptures. To collect all of that together, he's simply making the comparison here that it's denying yourself a normal function, something you need for life. But it's not just denial, it's not just abstinence, it's on purpose, or maybe better said, it's for a purpose. It's for intense spiritual activity because of the cause, because the realities of life that you might face. And this is really what we see when we get to the Gospel of John which is where we'll be over the next several weeks. As we enter into this fast together, we're going to be unpacking it through the eyes of John, and particularly in John chapter 4, where Jesus says something truly unexpected to his disciples. And really, a little bit obscure to us, he says this, I have food to eat that you don't know about. What in the world does that mean? He looks at his disciples and he goes, there's something you don't know. There's something you don't get. Or maybe there's something you're not currently accessing that you have access to. But it isn't bread. It's something else. You see, they were deeply concerned in this moment that Jesus, the Messiah, needed a bite to eat. And he says, but I do have a bite to eat. I have a food. I have a food to eat, but it's a food you're not familiar with. It's a diet you're not familiar with, or at least not accessing. It's a denial of the physical in exchange for something spiritual that Jesus is referencing here when he speaks to his disciples. This wasn't routine. The disciples would have grown up with the idea of fasting. There were appropriate times. There were certain routines that allowed for fasting or promoted fasting in Israel, and the disciples would have been fully on board with those things. But Jesus is saying in a very specific moment here, there's something you're unfamiliar with. This wasn't routine. This was a deeper issue that fasting could bring out. And the result was that this was very offsetting for the disciples. It was obscure, and it is to us as well. But it is meant for the disciples, and therefore it is meant for us. And it was meant to change their lives. Well, what is happening in this verse? Well, Jesus' identity 
is really being revealed in the first several chapters of the Gospel of John. John, who writes, as you'll remember, is one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. He was one of the inner three. He was there at the the, the death of Jesus, and he was there to take care of Jesus' own mother. And he'd given himself to the Lord in every single way. And he wants us to be as familiar with Jesus as he was through the word. And so he writes, and he wants people to understand how it is that people bounced off of Jesus once they discovered his claim as Messiah and his identity. And so we go through a series of stories. And we start out with some some, uh, familiar names like Nicodemus, for instance. Nicodemus was a curious fellow. Once encountering Jesus, he was totally confused and didn't really understand Jesus' identity or the way Jesus spoke. Many are in that condition still. And then you run into the Pharisees. The Pharisees, well, there is no love-hate relationship. There's There's only a hate relationship. They hate Jesus. They do from the beginning. And it's because they're intensely jealous of him. So we're introduced to them. Their character is developed. As a result of the Pharisees, as a matter of fact, Jesus leaves Judea and begins moving towards the Gentiles, where we encounter a woman, a woman at a well, a woman of Sychar, a Samaritan. And we see this interchange between Jesus and this, this woman who was worshiping at a different temple and in a different way, and you see the love of Jesus poured out onto her and a story unfold. But what about the disciples? They're really next on the list in John's mind. How are the disciples interacting with a Messiah who is being progressively rejected by everybody he meets except Samaritans? What do the disciples reveal about themselves, but really, what do they reveal about you and me? And fasting, for that matter. Well, here's what we discover the disciples doing if you read the text. They're talking but nobody's listening. They're making statements, but they're certainly not asking questions. They seem to know what Jesus needs more than Jesus does, which was a trap you and I can fall into as we begin to make plans. It exposes itself when we boast at our New Year's Eve resolutions. Now, there's no problem with us making plans, but when we begin to think that that they are the plans, or it's the way it will work, we cross into dangerous territory. And here's, that's what the disciples are doing. They kept urging Kim, Rabbi, what you need to do is you need to eat something. He says, you know, you don't understand. There's a different story afoot. There's a different plan unfolding. You need to get onto my frequency. It is not my job to get onto yours. What I know about myself is if I make a plan for the new year without consulting with the Lord, I'll miss. I'll end up with a plan, but it'll be my own plan, and it will acquire distorted perspectives. But it's here that Jesus issues a course correction to the disciples. He goes on in verse 34, and he says this, My food... My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. So here's my food. Here's how I'm nourished. It isn't through human food or physical food 
He says to his disciples, but my food, my nourishment, my sustenance comes through a singular effort, doing the will of my Father. It's as if Jesus is looking at his disciples in the eyes and he's saying, stop looking at yourselves and your physical needs and raise your eyes to a higher plane. Look up. Look at something different. In fact, look at me. Follow me. Jesus identifies another source of nourishment, simple obedience. You say, well, what is obedience? Obedience is that attitude of the heart that says, whatever it is that you're going to show me, whatever it is that you want me to believe, and whatever it is you want me to do, the answer is yes, ahead of time. This is what Jesus is really after, and it's what he's drawing his disciples into. And when it comes to 21 days of prayer and fasting, it is our primary objective. And he calls it food, and that's intentional, because food satisfies. Physical food satisfies temporarily. But what he is saying here is, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish it. Jesus is after something that deeply satisfies, satisfies at a deeper level than just mere bread. It reminds me of a song by Billy Joel, the song Vienna, where he makes this statement, only fools are satisfied. And his point is clear. He says, when you look at all the cities of the world, make sure that you're not satisfied with lesser cities. And how would you know? Well, once you've experienced Vienna, then you'll know. Don't be satisfied with New York unless you've compared it to Vienna. Don't be satisfied with Paris unless you've compared it to Vienna. Vienna, once you've seen Vienna, then you know. But you guys, he says, you're satisfied with too little. You've set your eyes on a low horizon. Lift them higher. Lift them to Vienna, Billy Joel says. Essentially, that's what Jesus is suggesting. Remember the encounter of Jesus with the woman at the well, where he says this. He says, every day you come here and you draw physical water, and it nourishes you, it quenches your thirst temporarily. But I'm going to give you Vienna. I'm going to give you something better, something eternal. He called it living water. He says, when you drink this water, he says, it will become something in you. That's what you should chase after. My will is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. Stop settling for well water when you can be nourished by something deeper. He calls his disciples to this idea. And it's because Jesus was after something few see in an age of indulgence and consumerism. That the physical practices, like fasting and prayer, often point to a deeper spiritual reality. This is why when we open our Bibles and we look at the Genesis account, we encounter the language of humans bearing the imprint or the image of God. In other words, in other words we are actually the representation of the divine in human form. 
Uh, so, for instance, when God says to Israel in the law, I don't want you to make any graven images. I don't want you to carve any images of me, my face. I don't want it hanging on your walls. Why? Because you're my image. And anything that you carve is going to be less than the person I created you to be. You're the image bearer. You're the one who reflects my glory on earth. Now, is that image marred? It is. But it's this idea that the physical actually points to something spiritual that's taken place. We are the image bearers of God. It also why the Apostle Paul in the New Testament will call our bodies, our physical bodies, a tent or a temple, both to illustrate the reality that there is this spiritual temple the spiritual presence, and it actually takes up residence in our bodies. It's why in Alaska, when we look out onto the horizon, we see beautiful mountains, we can say that those mountains are indicative of real majesty. And if they're indicative of real majesty, if they're majestic, then whatever created them, or in our language, whoever created them must be even more majestic, must be even greater. It's why when we look at the bee, the honeybee, to my knowledge, we still don't know why it flies or how it flies. It isn't hard for us to say we serve a God who is behind the miraculous. That there is things in this creation we simply can't explain, but we know that they happen because God is that great. He's that big. It's the reason David will write, the heavens declare the glory of God. How about that full moon we've been having as the shadows were cast off of the snow-capped peaks the other night. To the disciples, Jesus turns, and I think he's drawing them in close. And what he's doing is he's saying, guys, can you see it? Can you see that doing God's will, that living a life of obedience, is nourishing at the deepest levels? That it's actually the thing that we should be most excited about, more excited than the temporary deliverance of hunger pains through the medium of some bread. I have food that you don't know about. Guys, can you see it? Can you see? Can you participate in it? Something else happening here as well, though, I think. There's a comparison. There's a comparison between physical food and spiritual food. Or better said, there's a comparison between the need for physical food and the need for spiritual food. You see, what's true of physical food, in a way, is also true of spiritual food. In what sense? Well, we eat and are filled, and then we get hungry again, and then we go back. You see, we have to return to food. We have to keep returning to food. And this idea is pregnant in the Scriptures. That when it comes to what we are so supposed to be doing when it comes to being nourished spiritually, it isn't a one-time fix. But we're to return to the Lord. We're to keep going back. We're going to keep returning so that we can be filled up spiritually. Which leads me to what I think is really behind the idea of fasting and prayer to begin with. It's the idea of communion. That what we're doing is communion is we're returning we're sharing in the things of God. We're returning to Him. We're coming back to Him. We're acknowledging His presence. 
We're saying, we're in relationship with you, God. This is behind the idea of communion. We are meant to keep returning. It's what we do. It's one of the reasons as a church we've identified this as part of our culture. 21 days of prayer and fasting is a routine. We do it every year. It's an opportunity for us to return and to grow as a result. I don't know about your household, but in my household, football is a big deal, and it's bowl time. We uh, went ahead and got the one-month ESPN subscription. First time in my life I have stepped into a whole new world. It's going to be hard to stop the subscription at the end of the month. We got it specifically because Liberty University is playing in their first major bowl game against the Oregon Ducks. My father-in-law ran with Prefontaine in the day at the Oregon uh, University of Oregon, and for 15 years we lived in Oregon, and Oregon was our school. Currently, my son is enrolled at Liberty University, and they have had a Cinderella season, and they're undefeated. They are way out of their league, but who knows? We believe in the God of the miraculous. Amen? So we are gearing up for this game tomorrow at 9 a.m., just for those of you who care. But it reminds me of a time when I played football. And I remember they wanted me to be a quarterback because my brother had been a quarterback, and it turned out I was a terrible quarterback. I was much better at hitting people, so they ended up putting me on defense. But they always retained the position for me. I remember going out and practicing relationship with my receivers. And we'd go out, and we'd say hike, and the receiver would, would go out and run a pattern. And we called them timing patterns. And what's so amazing about a timing pattern is I would actually release the ball before the receiver would ever look at me. And as you can imagine, when we began this process, it looked pretty bad. It looked like we would probably never connect. But I can also tell you that first moment where the relationship between me and the receiver was so tight that I knew their steps. I knew where they would be and when they would be there. And I released the ball at just the right moment. And when I released the ball and they turned around and they caught the ball, something magical took place. Now, here's what's so crazy about things like football. And I realize this is true of other sports and other things like hunting as well. Is that when that relationship was forged, when all of a sudden the ball, perfectly thrown, was perfectly received, there was a magical relationship that is eternal that was forged. That receiver of mine was going to be friends with me for life because of the effort and the work and the conclusion. The reality is, is they could have a different morality. They could have a different political slant, but we shared something. That's communion. And there's something that happens there, and if we were to get together today, we would still share something. We would still be football buddies. It's fantastic. Maybe more closer to home for most of you. Marriage is that way. When we return to each other on a regular basis in marriage, it has a way of adding kindling to the fire of our passion and our love, and it grows. But we have to keep returning. We have to stay in communion, stay in fellowship. We were meant to return. And over time, what we discover is it's the only path to real deep satisfaction in marriage or in our relationship with God. He wants us to share communion with him. Fasting is an opportunity, an invitation 
to return. So how do you begin? Maybe this is your very first time joining in as we launch. It launches tomorrow. How do you begin? Well, what we're going to do over the course of the next 21 days is we're going to reveal several ways to begin, several places where you can enter, and several things or directions to be thinking about. And if you wanted to open your app and go to 21 Days at the Bottom, you could get access to all of those resources. But today, what we wanted to do was launch into one concept, a starting point, and it's the idea of confession, or the way I've put it here on the screen, confess your need. Start there if you've never started before. What do you want to do in 21 days? You want to first acknowledge the presence of God and confess your need. In a sense, what you want to do is say, I'm hungry. I'm hungry for you, and I need you. Now, the biblical idea of confession is agreement. That's what the term means. It means to agree or align yourself with God. But it also has the idea of going public. Everywhere the term confess is used, it's used in the idea of going public. It's not a closet experience, which is important because when it comes to disciplines like fasting, most of us have been under the assumption that everything like that should be done absolutely in private. And of course, if your motives are all bankrupt, if your goal is to parade around like the Pharisees were parading around, if your goal is to impress others, then by all means, go private. But if you read the scriptures, what you'll discover is that fasting was a very public event. It was actually something that demonstrated something to the people around, and it was meant to. And done appropriately, it should be a confession experience. It's not just a private matter. It was a public matter. Confessing in the context of fasting is this idea that what we are after is reconnection. We want to reconnect the physical with the spiritual, we want to acknowledge, come into agreement or alignment with God that He is our source of life before physical food. Paul, I think, encapsulates this idea well when he says, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. He's combining the physical and the spiritual, and he's saying there's a new principle that works itself out. And in the busyness and the hectic nature of our day, we can forget. We can get our eyes lowered to only the things that are temporary and physical. And it's appropriate for us from time to time to say, God, what is it that you're doing that's spiritual in my physical self? It reconnects these two things for us. And this has become, over the years, more and more real for me. Especially now as I find myself in a season of busyness. Anybody in your 40s who has children completely understands what I'm talking about when I say the season we're in as a family is a season that is very much busy. But it's also recently been, for me, a season of chaos. For the last year, we've been in a conversation with my dad. We almost lost him a year ago after some serious doses of some potent medication, antibiotics. He was able to be released from the hospital, but has essentially lost his cognitive abilities. And two days ago, we found out that he has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. That's really just the tip of the iceberg. 
He's also about to die of a heart attack. The truth is, we have no idea what 2024 is going to bring for us as a family. I don't know what it's going to bring for me as an individual. Do you know what it's going to bring for you? The fact is, what I know to be true is that our experience isn't unique. That if I was to survey an audience like you, I would discover that there are many heartaches, many areas of brokenness, many, many unknowns. What do we do about those things? Well, one thing we can do is we can ask ourselves some questions. Regardless of the circumstances that I may face, I can ask this question of myself. Am I still saying yes to the adventure? It's a question I need to ask. It's a question you need to ask as we enter into this 21-day experience. Remember when you first entered the adventure, when you said yes to God, and not just yes, I want to go to heaven, yes, I want to know you, but yes, I want to serve you. I want to do whatever you tell me to do. Am I still saying that? Or am I lowering my eyes as I see the chaos around me? We serve a God who is expansive, and he calls us to an expansive vision for our lives. Are we on board with that still? Are we as passionate now as ever, or better said, are we more passionate because, because we should be? What I want to experience is a growing affection, not a diminishing one as the years go by. I want to be less skeptical, more hopeful. It's interesting as tendency in Christian circles today, especially when confronted with the possibility of a death of a loved one, is to long for heaven. But we actually see the opposite in Scripture. Not that there isn't a longing to be with Jesus. There is. Paul expresses that natural human emotion. But David really identifies the attitude that Christians ought to have. God, just give me one more day so I can express and tell your greatness to the next generation. The truth of the matter is, is the goal of our life is not escaping earth, but it's growing in affection for the earth. This is why Jesus leaves heaven and comes to earth. Because he loves us. Because he loves earth. Even in all of its brokenness. We should actually be growing more affectionate for the place we live, not less. If we're really doing this with Jesus and joining him in ministry. Not affection for the brokenness, but for the potential for those who can have an encounter with God. He's an expansive God. He wants our love to grow. He wants us to see the future as bright. Am I still saying yes to the adventure? Or am I living on bread alone? Apart from the power of God. Guilty of a small vision and small thinking that leads to small behavior. Which is, I believe, why Jesus says what he does next. Picking up in verse 35 of our story, Jesus says this to his disciples, Don't you say there are still four more months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. This is a profound statement. 
Jesus is giving us a new paradigm to describe our relationship and interaction with him. He's not a God who simply set things in motion and hopes that we remain faithful. He's a God who is in the junk with us. And he is inviting us to join him there. It's where he's doing his work. He's there in Sychar at the well. He just had an encounter with the woman. Now the villagers are coming up because she is his evangelist in that village. And as they're coming up, he asks the disciples, guys, lift your eyes higher than the temporary nature of food that you want to eat. Lift your eyes higher and see what it is that I'm doing. Partake of the food that I give to you to do the will of the Father. Even now they're coming. Even now would you be willing to sacrifice your physical needs for some deeper spiritual satisfaction? This is what Jesus is after. He wants us to reimagine our relationship. He wants the disciples to join him in his journey, in his mission of obeying the Father. And here, the purpose for fasting becomes more clear, doesn't it? Prepare to see what God sees. That's what we're after. Which is interesting because sometimes our language in Christian circles can be confusing. But really, our job isn't to ask God to show up. He's already here. He's never left. Our job is to ask God for eyes to see what it is that he's doing all the time around us. And as we see him through the eyes of faith and ask him, God, what is it that you're doing and how can I be involved in it? He will manifest himself in different ways for different reasons to carry out his purposes in full measure. So we can finish the work. It's what he was doing here. He says to them, open your eyes. Jesus' eyes were already open. He had already prepared for this moment, which leads me to 2024. I've heard a lot about 2024. I've heard a lot of predictions about how this next year is going to go. But I believe, and I think you believe, 2024 belongs to God. We're going to say at the end of it that it was the year of our Lord. So dream big. We serve an expansive God. As you fast and as you pray, ask God to expand your vision. I think this is what Jesus is after when he calls his disciples to look up. Open your eyes. I think he's saying, guys, I'm going to do something here that's unbelievable that you never expected with a bunch of Samaritans. I'm going to do something that, that nobody can believe back in Jerusalem, but you're going to see it. I'm, I'm asking you to believe the unbelievable. I'm asking you to expand your vision. I want the old thinking to pass away, and I want to bring in some brand new thinking, some brand new vision with new possibilities and a new horizon. Are you with me? Guys, that's what I want for myself in the next 21 days. What Jesus is inviting his disciples to do is to join the ranks. And by extension, that's what he's inviting you to do in this season. The question will always be, are you and I ready? 
Have we prepared? And so we fast and we pray. Let me pray for you right now. Lord, as I think about this coming season, what I know to be true, God, is you're in it. And we're not forging out a dire existence on our own with fear and idols on the horizon to overcome us, but rather you have the power and the ability to own the next year and to build your kingdom here. It is our joy and our privilege to join you in that cause, no matter what it is that we think we may face in this coming year. Help us to have the humility to admit what we don't know and the faith to believe you really can move mountains because you are the mountain mover. And Lord, give us the courage to join you and to say yes to whatever it is you share with us to go do as individuals and as a church. And we ask it and pray for it in the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play. Thank you.